Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson, and today we are chatting with Dean Carlin, who is arguably the smartest person we've ever had on the podcast, and we've had some pretty smart people on. Uh, He's got a PhD in economics from MIT, an MBA and an MPP from the University of Chicago, and a BA in international affairs from the University of Virginia. So degrees, check, no big deal. Uh, But more important for the conversation today, he's also the president and founder of Innovations for Poverty. Poverty Action. He's a professor of economics and finance at Northwestern University. And what we're talking about today is his work with Impact Matters, where he's the co-founder and chair of the board. Impact Matters takes this really rigorous approach to data and evidence to quantify a nonprofit organization's impact. So that's what we talk about today, is how do they actually go about rating those organizations? Uh, What role does cost in terms of uh, overhead and um, fundraising and admin costs play? Uh, What can organizations do if they don't necessarily have all this data evidence themselves? How did he create this organization? What's ahead for them? All covered in this episode and conversation with Dean Carlin. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go I said welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Hi, Dean. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. So I remember uh, I came across you and your work years ago now. I was working in microfinance, and you wrote this book, More Than Good Intentions, which was a great book. But I I came across my desk because there was some – you know, maybe less than positive things around certain areas of microfinance. Uh, but what was great is this kind of evidence-based approach. And just because people think it's great, is it really? How do we find evidence? And that continues in your work today. And that's really what we want to talk about today is impact matters and really evaluating nonprofits. But before we dive into that, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about your own story. Kind of how did you end up kind of co-founding Impact Matters and spending this work focused on evidence in the field in particular for social impact? Sure. Um, well, my, I mean, my personal story actually is, starts quite a bit before Impact Matters. It's the, it's, it was a different nonprofit, which was the, the first nonprofit that kind of can lead to the segue to explain Impact Matters. <laughs> my, my first actually opens up, my, my, my personal story is very much how um, you mentioned with the history of microfinance. And I was a, an intern in two years out of college, working down in El Salvador for a nonprofit that was doing micro lending in El Salvador. And my job had nothing to do with measuring impact. My job was about setting up software systems and things like this. But what really mm. struck me once I was down there was what, you know, what was the evidence that this was actually working? And, and, right. what, and also what was also striking to me wasn't just the evidence of impact, but also that there were lots of decisions that the organization was making about how to run the program. And they were not using evidence to guide those decisions. They were... Mm using intuition. And mm-hmm. you're like, look, intuition can be great in a lot of cases, but there's like <laughs> countless instances where um, certainly my intuition is going to be wrong lots and lots of times. And it just wasn't clear to me why a group should just sit around the table having um, reflections on whether to provide training or not and what price to charge and whether to lend with short run or long run loans were just based on kind of instinct and, and gut rather than oh, actually go and get evidence. Yeah, And that was the 
that was kind of the aha in my personal life that led me to go back to graduate school and get a PhD in economics in order to study more about what works hmm. and what doesn't in fighting poverty around the world. Wow. And, um, and so we've you know, done a lot of that work. And in fact, Innovations for Poverty Action is the, uh, the first nonprofit that I started that has been championing that, uh, um, that kind of series of kind of detailed questions about does this work and and if so why and how do how do we make it work better and we've been doing randomized controlled trials to help answer that question and in fact three of our primary researchers just won the nobel prize in economics this past year so it was very wow. very exciting year for um for us institutionally hmm. um but and this leads to impact matters what you know, what we were doing was conducting a lot of really careful research to understand the impact of different programs, but that doesn't often answer the question for a fairly small donor about where they can send $50 or $100 or $1,000, even $10,000. That's information that's being used, and there's lots of really good examples of where it's been used at the country level for the government policy hmm. or for the large foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the mm-hmm. Hewlett Foundation, groups like this can feed off of that research and use it to guide their programmatic decision-making and, and allocation of grants. But it's not often that it maps very cleanly and, and nicely to say, here's you know, here's the impact of this particular charity and that particular mm-hmm. charity and, and allow you to make those comparisons. And yet that's what we were hearing a lot of interest from was a lot of donors who, who were frustrated with what was out there in the space of rating charities, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, frustrated that they were not measuring impact and estimating impact. And then instead they were using some kind of false proxies and, and kind of bad data. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, that was basically the impetus for Impact Matters was saying, well, can we do better in assessing and estimating the impact of nonprofit organizations using a combination of their data that they are making publicly available and like, the best of the social science research that we can find to help, um, to help build uh, better estimates of the impact of nonprofit programs. Awesome. And so thank you for that. That's your great. That's the personal intro in connection. And then you've, you know, started answering a few of the next questions, which is awesome. But I know like one of the biggest challenge for nonprofits that they always say, it's not like they necessarily don't want to show impact, but you know, it's hard. And how do we go about doing it? And I remember sitting in one session with a field evaluator talking about, you know, you have to start with what you have, and then you can kind of add in based on other, someone else's research to kind of get at a rough estimate of impact. So for example, if you know that Kids who are, uh, you know, can read by the time they're in kindergarten have X percentage, you know, chance to go to college. If your job is to increase literacy in kindergarten, then you can kind of tap into what's already been studied and kind of project to get this kind of estimate of impact. Is that some of the methodology that you're kind of doing? Because not all nonprofits have all of these numbers to report, right? You you, you nailed it, actually. That's uh, a large part is, is saying, like, look, just because we don't have direct evidence from a particular situation about the impact, for instance, of going, getting a scholarship to go to college. Doesn't mean that there isn't really good literature out there about the likelihood of going to college based on getting a scholarship. And then likewise, what happens to later earnings after you go to college? Right. So that's something we can look to the social science literature for. We would never want a world in which 
you know, there's a lot of um, really good scholarship nonprofits out there where you can donate money to an organization that is providing scholarship to some type of student. They have some filtering, some selection process that they're engaged in that's at the heart of their mission. Um, and we can't possibly expect all these nonprofits to like stop, wait 20 years, right. and tell us the <laughs> long run impact of your scholarship program before we're willing to give you a dime. I mean, that would be a horrible world to live in. Right. But that doesn't mean that we just throw up our hands and go, well, we have right. no, way of, no way of even estimating what that impact could be. That's yeah. also equally insane. Right. And so, um, so that's the world we, we want to, you know, tackle is that's, that's the problem we want to tackle is how do we combine the data that the organizations can provide and can responsibly provide. And then rather than just throw up our hands and say, well, we'll never know say, well, no, but there is actually good research about long run impacts of going to college and things like this. And so we can, we can do better than we have no idea. We can take some, we can take some, some good educated, um, guesses and estimates. So can you talk a little bit more about what maybe the the process is like to rate a nonprofit? Because it sounds, you know, part of the reasons why we have these watchdog groups that, you know, use crap and false metrics is because that's what's available, right? So they Absolutely. just take what's available and they create something. So to kind of create something that's different or better, like even just reading through the website and looking at it, it's like, this is a lot of work. <laughs> so what, what was that process like? And is it as much work as it looks like? Um, so it has it has been a lot of work. We have an amazing team that has been um, really dedicated to being as honest and transparent as we can possibly be, understand the bounds of where we feel comfortable being able mm. to say things and where we can't. And, you know, I think there's a few guiding principles that we've employed. Um, one is one is utter transparency. We really believe strongly that this should not be is not being done for private science and whatnot. Having said that, it also means it don't it doesn't mean you can't write up a 20-page report and expect every donor to read your 20-page report. So you need, mm-hmm. you need we need to dial things down to kind of really basically simple estimates and, and and ratings. But at the same time, for those who want to be wonky and understand what we've done, um, can can dig in in the details. And that's also an important principle for us for improving and learning. Uh, you know, we're never gonna get better and figure out how to deal with the areas that we know we're weak in if we don't show everybody what we've done so that if mm. someone actually has some ideas on how we can improve it, they can they can see what we've done and send in an email and suggestions and say, well, we think you should take into account yeah. X. And, and then if that's doable, we can improve. And we're not going to get there if all we do is, is show people kind of a black box. So that's a really important principle kind of behind yeah. in our, you know, it's kind of deeply ingrained in our ethos. Yeah, um, it, it's one of the things that comes comes across I- immediately as kind of one of the differences. Obviously, there's your rating and, and what goes into it, but even just the there's even a line that say, "Hey, you know, we don't know everything. Are we missing something? Get in touch. Let us know." And again, I think that's one of the biggest criticisms of kind of past watchdog groups is that the false confidence that they have, but also that they give donors of just like this is everything you need to know is is so uh, wrong right. and damaging. So to take that posture that you guys take is great. So kind of yeah. cut you off. What, what what goes more into kind of the rating side or the work that you and your excellent team does? So, you know, so I think one, the first step is just figuring out what causes that we can, we can tackle. And mm. and that list is going to grow as we're learning. We're hopefully going you know, to expand and take on new causes. But the first step is recognizing that, you know, we're not, um, there's a lot of organizations out there that might be doing really good work that are um, simply not going to be possible for us to estimate, certainly not using our current, current methods. And, you know, maybe we'll, grow and expand and, and be able to take on new areas. But the first thing is to just accept the fact that we can't do this for everybody. Um, and, you know, um, 
And so that that's actually an important limitation to mm-hmm. to um, to not be shy about. I think is the right way of putting it. In the sense that we're not, you know, we're not. Um, we don't, and we don't want to do harm to groups that are doing good work, but they're simply not measurable, right? It's just, right. That's you know, we recognize that that's has its merits. Um, and then within the ones that we, so we focus a lot on service delivery to start. Mm-hmm. So think we think about um, charities as, at least I think of charities in kind of roughly speaking, three different buckets: what I would call clubs, and then research advocacy as a second group, and service delivery being the third. Hmm. And we're very focused on the third for now: the service delivery. So the advantage of service delivery is that there's an organization that is delivering some sort of service to some targeted group of people. It might be scholarships, it might be a food bank, it might be health care, it might be some educational intervention, it could be microcredit, going back to what we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. But it, but by it, the ones that are in service delivery typically means that there's some research out there in the social science world where we can get our head around what mm-hmm. the likely impact is of such a program. Um, and the key on the impact is that we want to know not just how the lives have changed of people in a program, but how the lives would have changed compared to, um, I'm sorry, how the lives have changed compared to how they would have changed. And it's mm. that second part that's that's harder because a typical nonprofit doesn't keep track of like, well, what would you have done if you didn't get this scholarship? Or what would you mm-hmm. have done if you didn't get this food transfer? Or what would you have done if you didn't get this microcredit loan? But that's where social science literature comes into play and has mm-hmm. a lot to say on that it, those issues. And it does require first getting to know that literature, understanding what the theoretical and empirical um, theoretical arguments and empirical evidence is on that kind of set of activities. Um, so we do that cause by cause. And we started off um, for instance, with um, scholarship programs is one of the early ones that we did do because there's a, there's actually a pretty good literature about the impact of getting a scholarship on likelihood of going to college. We also worked at homeless shelters and food banks because there the theoretical argument we were able to make um, kind of lends itself well to establishing what that counterfactual would be. Um, and then then the next, so that's the first phase is just understanding more about the cause and really digging mm-hmm. in on what we what we think you know we need in terms of the data specifically to a nonprofit and building a model of what that estimate will be. And then we're going through basically every nonprofit we can find that is doing that program and looking at their website and looking at their 990s and trying to see what can, what do they report about the the outputs that they're producing. Um, and the cost of producing those outputs. And then we use the social science literature to map, well, if you're providing this many scholarships for that much money, well, scholarships produce this much good in the world. They increase likelihood of going to college by X and then income by Y. And, and then you basically kind of write out the formula and, and, and estimate what the impact is. Hmm. And um, when you're kind of like scraping uh, websites, do you ever get in touch with nonprofits or is there a way for nonprofits that are maybe listening to say like, ooh, you know, we, we have that information, but it's not in our 990, not on our website, like maybe it should be on their website. But is there a way like where they can actually be more in touch with you or are you more in touch with them to get so, that information? So this is exactly where we're hoping that we're able to have an impact on the sector. Aside from helping donors, we want to basically encourage um, organizations to to report this information better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you're hitting on exactly what our next phase is going to be is trying to create some some standards of that of that nature. So that groups that are not reporting what is needed in order to get them rated 
um, we can make it really straightforward for them to say, well, if you tell us A, B, and C, then we can make <laughs> right. it. Right? Right. So that's exactly where we're going. We also have, you know, we're, we've been very keen to get as much feedback as we can from the organizations we have rated. You know, we have a, we have a, you know, part of the rating system where we say very clearly, like things we, you know, things we may be getting wrong. And we, and we know for each specific type of activity, the different areas where we had to make some assumptions or have to ignore some issues because mm. there's no way to get proper data to, um, to, to, to be able to dig in on that. Um, and if there's a better way of doing it, by all means, we're always ears and want to hear that kind of feedback. Um, yeah. And do, do you factor in, uh, Kind of more classic things like administrative and fundraising costs, and if so, why or why not? So you know, ironically, I I don't think that, that is the the classic thing that a lot of rating systems out there have used, and un- unfortunately, we have no evidence to say that those are actually bad. In fact, if anything, the very limited evidence we have suggests that those might actually be good, hmm. um, and that um, once you get rid of the fraud, let's say, but there's much less fraud in the world than people think. And I've done Big a time. public poll many times when giving a lecture about what proportion of charities do you think have <laughs> spend more than half their money on administration and fundraising? And most people think the answer is like 20, 30, 40, 50% of nonprofits are spending more than half their money on fraud. It's not, it's like 2%. It's nobody, yeah. very, very few. And they're not name brand groups. They're, they're basically doing like door to door fundraising and right. fundraising outside of supermarkets and things like this, where people are not in a, a situation to ever check what they are and what they're doing. So yes, there's a few frauds out there, but they're by no means like most of the appeals one hears when one is thinking about giving to charity are not like that. And yeah. among those that are not like that, there's just no indication that overhead ratios are even correlated with impact, yeah. and that some things just cost more money to administer than others. And mm-hmm. and and you know sometimes higher overhead means more thoughtful, more dedicated to doing good work. Higher quality um, thing, yeah, and it's just no. There's just no reason to 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 look at these numbers. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. <laughs> no. I, I mean, I knew the answer, but I just yeah. can't. I, it's such an important question to have answered all the time. Is that it's just you know, the, it's not correlated. It's the wrong question in the first place. The joke we often make is that, like, you know, if you're going to buy a shirt in a store, and say the shirt costs forty dollars, like, when's the last time you asked the the, the, the clerk <laughs> at the store? You know, I, I really like the shirt and, I, you know, I try it on. It feels good. I like the fabric. It feel, I like the way I look at it. It's all great. But I just need to know a few things before I'm willing to buy it. Um, can you please tell me how much was spent on cotton? How much was spent on <laughs> making the shirt? How much was spent yeah. on shipping? How much was spent on on marketing the shirt? Because I'm willing to pay for the labor to make the shirt. I'm willing to pay for the cotton, but I'm not the shipping. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> sure what category to put that in, but I'm, I'm going to yeah. call that admin. So I don't like that. And, and certainly, you know, your retail clerk, of course, I'm going to pay for your time. So that's okay. But your manager, no, that's not good. Like, what is that? That's not the way to, that's not how we think about things. Yeah. Um, and, and look, and here's the only reason we do think about things that way for charity. It's because we got nothing better. And that's mm-hmm. a problem. And that's the problem we're trying to tackle. Yeah. It's because no one ever put up something that said, well, wait a second, here's your estimate of impact. So it'd be like going into a store to go to push my clothing analogy even further. Imagine you could go into a store and you want to buy a shirt, but you can't look at the shirt. You can't try it on. It's just all you're told is it's a shirt. It's blue. Do you want it or not? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that's a world in which you might say, well, how much was the cotton? 
you might actually be asked that because you think, well, that's going to give me some indication of whether it's a good shirt or not. Right, and right, And unfortunately, right. that's the world we're in with nonprofits is we have yeah. no understanding of what the impact is. And so then we, we migrate to these other numbers. Why? Well, because they're numbers to migrate to and they sound yeah. vulnerable. And so that's the tro- that's what we're trying to tackle is, well, if we can give people an actual estimate of, imp- estimate of impact, well, then hopefully that can lead to just ignoring these overhead numbers, which may or may not even be positively correlating with what we care about. Yeah. It's so funny, the the parallels between what you're talking about and a lot of the work that we do. So we're a fundraising research lab and we just run experiments on why do people actually give because there's not enough evidence around why do people actually give. There's all these assumptions. People sit around boardrooms and let's do this, let's do that. And it's like, well, why don't you run a test and actually prove it works? There, there's so many parallels in the whole space. But what's interesting and what, re, what you're getting at in terms of estimating impact is there isn't a theory, and we've proven this in some of our experiments, where people actually care more about their own personal impact than even – overhead ratios and things like that. So one of the questions is kind of as an economist and uh, kind of someone who focuses work on calculating that and giving that to donors, do irrational donors actually care as much about that number as we think? The, the sh- I, my short answer is um, yes and no. <laughs> some do, some don't. Um, some they say they do, but in practice, when you look at their donating behavior, it doesn't seem like they do. <laughs> Right. Um, some might not say they do, but yet if you actually show them choices, they would behave as if they are. Mm. So um, people are different. And also people within person, there's differences. I might be, right. you know, one day very attuned to impact and then the other day hear a, a compelling story that triggers my emotional giving reaction. And I, and I give without ever even asking what the charity is really doing. Right. So, so we're, we're, you know, people are different and, and, uh, and across people as well as within person is the, sh- the short answer. Yeah. Um, we are we are hoping for a world in which we can l- let the heart choose its cause, but the mind choose the charity. Hmm. We don't want to turn off the heart. We, we do want to see people have access to information to help them make better choices. But the minute we go too hard on wonky, we might risk actually turning off the emotional triggers, which make us care about other people and make us want to give and help others. And we don't want to turn that off. We want to love. We love that. That's that's what makes, you know, humanity awesome. So let that happen. But then but then help and meet that donor where they are. And then but then within that say, okay, you know, but. But here, this group, this group is actually doing better work than that group, et cetera. And we're not going to win them all. We realize that. That's not our goal, right? Yeah. Our goal is to simply you know, improve the proportion of, of donations that are given with an attention to this kind of impact um, data. Yeah. And what's interesting, so we've we've proven that in a, in a few donation experiments where you do that kind of, you know, $50 does for the average donor, it, 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 it will increase conversion and response rate almost all the time. But it matters how you do it. What we've seen is the pendulum swings too far. So we make hundreds of donations and categorize the experience. And what a lot of organizations will do is no context, no value proposition, no emotional sentiment. It'll They'll just jump right to like $50 clean water. But person doesn't know why clean water is needed. They don't know of the problems that are in Uganda. And so then they're jumping right to solution and data without any context or heart. And that's still – that's a cold appeal, right? Mm-hmm. So even if we have the numbers, we still have to learn how to actually use these numbers in ways that make sense to the people. We can't just yep. spit out numbers and reports and assume wallets will just flood open. Like that's not going to happen, right? There has to be an understanding of that. And so that's what I think is so great is – 
people like you and your team and your work is actually giving one more kind of, you know, arrow in the quiver for organizations to have for certain types of donors that we don't have right now. That's it's kind of going right. from nothing to something, which yep. is a huge step. And we're, you know, for what it's worth, we are also doing a lot of we're we're trying to be very active in doing research about how to message on this and how to help hmm. make sure that we are creating a a a helping to foster a larger culture of giving, but to one of giving effectively. And so we're always on the on the prowl for um, nonprofits or any sort of giving platform that wants to test these questions about messaging and understand how to, how to get the, this information into the hands of donors um, and helping them and, and seeing a byproduct of giving more and giving more effectively and not, not see yeah. a trade-off. So, um, so if there's any listeners out there that want to do research <laughs> on this question, by all means, reach out. We're, we're always looking for new platforms where we can help figure out um, test on this because the, you know, there, isn't, there isn't a very simple universal answer and differences right. will uh, arise based on um, how deliberative the, the giving moment is, for instance, might lead to very different results from, from in terms of asking this question about heart and mind. Yeah. Well, and then even downstream value too, right? We've proven things like, you know, adding swag bags and premiums sometimes can lead to a short bump in generosity. But when you actually track that generosity down 12, 18, 24 months, those people are actually less generous over the long term. So yep. are we hindering ourselves with some of these tactics? Yep. So our time is coming to an end. I want to add, uh, ask one final question and then uh, hear a little bit more about where we can find out about you and your work. So the question is, how do you think we can grow, improve, and optimize generosity? Well, I think the the short answer is we can look to places like Impact Matters, which I'm very proud of what the team at Impact Matters has produced to um, help identify good charities and let that just be a, a little bit of a, a, a check before we, we go and we take action and, and give to charities. Um, and um, and as far as giving more, well, one, one hope is that by giving more effectively, we'll mm. also end up giving more because we'll feel mm-hmm. better about what we're doing. As we know, mm-hmm. like, okay, wait, this has been validated. This is really working. And so it inspires us to give even more, helps us to spread the word, tell our friends where we're giving and, 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 and create that kind of leverage effect. I think you know, one of the things that I'm very excited about that we're seeing also in the world of giving is a lot of, um, a lot of opportunities for building giving more into daily life that um, can help connect us more in terms of community, in terms of other people. Mm. And, you know, but we're still lacking a lot of information. I, I still fear a little bit of like the, the story you told of just a moment ago about giving out swag leading to higher giving mm. in the short run, less in the long run. So mm. there's a lot we need to understand more about how to create a kind of a culture of giving, a, a philosophy of mm. giving for individuals that actually um, leads to higher long run giving and happiness for those individuals. Um, and, and thinking about philanthropy on both sides of the coin, you know, it's about helping other people, but it's also about making yourself happier. So what yeah. are the ways of giving that actually have that kind of win-win moment um, so that philanthropists are, um, are, you know, are you know, kind of feeding into a, a larger community, a larger sense of culture of giving and, and society, um, helping themselves feel good, but not in a self-serving way. I mean this in a just yeah. – genuine um genuinely good way but then also of course we want to see good charities chosen you know and and the and the sad truth is that there are some that are simply choosing better programs running better programs than others and we need to get that information into the hands of donors so that they can make smart choices and that's the that's the role of impact matters yeah well and that's a it's a great way to end and again the there is research out there and again whether it's ours or other people's but the more tangible 
the kind of ask is or the more clear understanding of impact actually makes people more happy when they give, which does lead to more giving. Like there is a link between tangibility and generosity. And so thank you to you and your team for kind of uh, adding in a whole bunch of extra um, research and analysis and data to help more and more and more nonprofits do that and more and more donors understand that. So Great. where can people thank learn you. more about uh, you and Impact Matters specifically? Well, the obvious is the website, impactmatters.org. Um, is the the um, the URL for Impact Matters? Um, if you Google me, you can get my personal website is deancarlin.com. Um, also, you know I'm a professor at Northwestern, so you can get there from Northwestern. Um, I do have some research on charitable giving that's there, but the the you know the main thing to look at is Impact Matters. And and please, by all means, anybody out there listening to this, we we are constantly looking to figure out how to grow, how to improve. Um, so if you peruse the website and you have ideas and suggestions, by all means, please reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and uh, all the best in the future. Great. Thanks for having me on. Nice to talk with you. Hi again, this is Brady, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com, or you can search The Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest, or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at nextafter.com. That's podcast at nextafter.com. And if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research, resources, and training, you can find out more at nextafter.com. That's nextafter.com. Thank you very much for listening. And finally, I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill, our producer and mixologist. This would not be possible without him. So thank you, Nathan. And thank you once again for listening. 